Ian Gaines, thank you for taking time to be on the Bitcoin Source. Can we start things off by you introducing yourself to the audience? Thank you, Dad. It was an absolute pleasure. And yes, I'm Ian Gaines. I'm the Communications Director for Bitcoin Policy Institute. And it's a pleasure to be here with you, man. Most definitely. You know, this is a long time coming. Um, people may not know we have some history uh, working in Black Bitcoin Billionaire. And um, I'm just excited to have you. So, Ian, the first question that I usually ask people when they come on the show is, you know, where did they source their Bitcoin knowledge, whether it be books, courses, or even conferences in this, the Bitcoin ecosystem that helped you to become a better Bitcoiner? So could you kind of explain to the audience any of those sources of information that might be helpful? Yeah. So my recommendations might be a little unconventional um, because the one book that I'm going to recommend is actually not a Bitcoin book. But it, it's the, the, the start, the foundation, getting the philosophy to absorb Bitcoin information better. Um, and that book is The Anatomy of State. And really, that goes into the philosophy and the actions of the state and what the value of the state is and what its objectives are, right? Um, and really, the state having the a monopoly on violence and, you know, the ability to siphon uh, the, the value from its uh, sovereign individuals and how over time, it, it, just by way of action, it further consolidates and concentrates that, that power, right? Uh, and it's from a, a political standpoint um, and the, the use of, of the governments and, and their objectives. So I, I would start with that to get the understanding of, you know, from state level, um, and he touches upon Austrian economics, which is, you know, the basis of, you know, Bitcoin, you know, the, the, the principles that Bitcoin holds. And then to, to make it more fun, I guess, uh, <laughs> I would say the What Is Money uh, podcast, uh, Robert Breedlove, if you... If you guys, if you get through the eight hours of the Michael Saylor uh, <laughs> section that he has, it really, once again, breaks down uh, what is money from uh, a human level of human needs, right? And how we transfer value to one another um, to, to meet the demands of uh, society. How does value erode over time? How does value, how can value be preserved throughout time and what are the different features and, and properties uh, of that value uh, to, to ensure that it preserves over time and they, they give a, a master class. So it's about maybe, oh, you know, it might be like five or six episodes, the, the Sailor um, series. So so first start with, you know, the, the foundation of of a state and what that is, and then what is money, you put that together, you might find your way into Bitcoin. Couldn't have said it any better, my brother. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting to hear people's perspective because a lot of times you'll hear like the Bitcoin standard. I've said this on, you know, multiple episodes before, but it's just always really interesting to hear people's perspective on like how they approach Bitcoin and that book that you mentioned. Um, now I'm going to go pick it up and give it a read because I've never heard of it before. And I just think that it's really helpful to 
um, allow education and literature to be a part of people's orange pill journey. So thank you, Ian, for giving us that information. So Ian, I want to really like unpack, you know, what you do on your day to day, which is working at the Bitcoin Policy Institute, which I'm super proud that, you know, you have an ability to kind of be in an institution like that to really help the Bitcoin uh, ethos really flourish in policy, you know, on Capitol Hill and things of that nature. So my second question for you is, what impact does your role at Bitcoin Policy Institute play in changing policy? Right. Um, so at BPI, I'm kind of the point of contact in, in D.C., the, the public face of uh, BPI. Uh, my day-to-day -day, uh, role is I sit down with different staffers, legislative directors of offices, Republican or Democrat, we have a 30-minute uh, educational meeting, and really I just pose it on like, what does your office value, right? What, what do you care about? Before we even get into Bitcoin, uh, what are some, some of the objectives that you're trying to accomplish? And maybe uh, there's a way that decentralized networks, you know, open permissionless, censorship-resistant uh, network can help aid those those goals, right? <clears throat> so whether that is, you know, they have a, you know, importance on um, mining or energy, environmental sustainability, financial inclusion, um, keeping, maintaining a global competitiveness um, and a sort of macro level global competitiveness and how we're positioned as a country and how to maintain that advantageous, you know, position on an economic level. Um, so, so really, Bitcoin fits in so many different, you know, aspects, uh, whether it's from a community level, you know, a state level, helping small businesses. Uh, a lot of our districts uh, talk about, you know, working with small businesses. And, you know, we really focus on Bitcoin Lightning Network, right? Uh, because last year, uh, Visa and MasterCard through interchange fees and transaction fees, you know, charge U.S. merchants $150 billion, right? Um, and just these transaction fees, interchange fees, credit and debit uh, cards, right? And if you're working a small business, you know, you don't have that, you know, much wiggle room in your finances. So that 3% that you know, your charge from the Visa and MasterCard on each swipe, you know, that accumulates over, you know, time, month to month, you know, year to year. And to save those small businesses, you know, 3% on every swipe, that looks very appealing, right, to uh, these offices, right? So it's just finding different ways, different alternatives to, uh, one, explain these, these new technologies, because really we're, we're working on base level, <laughs> you know, what, what is a what is blockchain, um, what's proof of work, what's proof of stake, um, and, and how it can help our constituency. Um, but really it's just, you know, sitting the, giving the education um, and, and fitting it into, you know, their goals and missions as an office. 
Great, great. And, you know, BPI has a lot of heavy hitters. I've interviewed some people on the Bitcoin source, such as Margo, um, you know, Troy Cross. There's a lot of good people in that institution, David Zell. And, you know, BPI has been doing a lot of work this summer into the fall, really kind of like focusing on policy, focusing on getting um, the administration to really understand Bitcoin's potential and, you know, removing some of that FUD and some of that confusion that you see in the media. And, you know, BPI recently sent a report to the Treasury Department on um, responsible development of digital assets. And there was a section in that report that I found really interesting that I wanted to talk to you about, Ian, which was a section called Bitcoin, electric money that underserved uh, populations can trust. And I wanted to really know your thoughts in the way that you approach this, which is, you know, how helpful will this report be for the unbanked um, that need Bitcoin? Yeah, um, I'm glad that you noticed my portion <laughs> of, of that. And yeah, I think really just giving, you know, the Department of Treasury a snapshot of how the traditionally underserved communities are, are using this new technology, why it's a, a need, and really just give the examples. You know, when we look at, um, you know, Foundry, and they're creating a career pathway for underserved, you know, kids to learn about mining, Bitcoin mining, how to operate it, you know, the, the different sort of upkeep measures that you need, and then within this fellowship, you know, give, receive a you know, a job offer afterwards that many of the times, you know, the average blockchain, you know, miner receives like, you know, 90K to 100K a year, right? So that is building jobs. Um, and then to the education portion of, you know, the example that I use was, you know, partnering with, uh, you know, Jack Dorsey and Jimmy Z for the Bitcoin Academy, right? Teaching Marcy Project residents uh, financial literacy about these new technologies that's going to shape our future, right? I, I look at uh, Bitcoin like if it's like a pizza, it's a pizza with 21 million slices, and you're in a dorm room, and it's open and available to everybody. So it's just out on, on the table, 21 million slices. Everybody can get a piece. No one can stop another person from getting a piece or anything like that. It's our duty, you know, as, as educators to tell everybody in the hall, not just a couple of people, you know, in a couple of rooms, but tell everybody on the floor that, hey, this pizza is available to us all, right? That's where the education is just signaling out um, because there's no one to stop you from taking a piece. Where in the traditional banking systems, there was, uh, you know, there was barriers to, to entries and, and restrictions. So um, that just on that level of having the accessibility and being able to, to educate to, to all communities of the, the opportunities. So we're, we're not left behind by uh, the new developments in, in technologies, I, I think is, is critical right, moving forward. You know, that report is kind of like a sleeping giant. And I think that the White House administration is going to look at that as, you know, a conduit down the road or as a fulcrum to kind of build on 
their approach to, you know, the whole digital asset market. And I'm just super proud and happy to see that, you know, you had, you know, a personal stake in actually getting that report to become into maturation. And I think that it's super helpful for people to be um, educated on Bitcoin and what it's like for the unbanked. And I love that analogy with the pizza, you know, shout out to Bitcoin pizza day, but that analogy just makes perfect sense. If people really sit down and think about it, where you have an opportunity to get a resource and that resource is, you know, open source available for anybody to get their hands on and no one can kind of stop you or manipulate you from doing so. And the biggest part about that is being educated and having hearsay to know that, you know, that free pizza is available down the hall. So, uh, you know, Ian, that's kind of like incredible to really think about, you know, your approach to Bitcoin policy and kind of like how that's going to be helpful for other people down the road. Um, you know, a question that I really wanted to talk about, and we had this kind of conversation before on BBB and it kind of pertained to reparations, but I kind of want to go into something more profound than that, which is, do you feel, or do you believe that Bitcoin will help repair the wealth gap? Because, you know, that conversation can be so complex. There's so many layers to it. And we obviously know Bitcoin isn't a one-stop shop, but I just wanted to hear your approach on, you know, the wealth gap in Bitcoin. Bitcoin gives us an unprecedented opportunity for fair <laughs> allocation, right? So it's, it's, it's the fairness that's really driving this. Um, it's the transparency of these networks that's driving this. Um, can I sit here and say that, okay, how Bitcoin is constructed today, is it going to make, a, you know, the most equal, equitable society? Well, potentially. <laughs> it, it comes down to those who, who need the information to, to learn about these technologies, to be a part uh, of this network. And then that's where the fairness is equity comes in, right? Um, so it still takes human action and that human groundwork um, to, to make that decision, one for yourself, and then also to teach others about the opportunity that, that's available. Um, but um, the beautiful thing about Bitcoin is, is also, it's a, can, can be considered, you know, a downside is that it truly is agnostic. It doesn't take in human bias into this protocol. So whoever, first come, first serve, whoever you are. <laughs> so, and, and that's the, the beauty in it, that it doesn't you know, take any decision-making uh, sort of like features off of, you know, whether your, your background, your location. I had a conversation about, I'm going to get back to it, but I had a conversation um, on Capitol Hill. We had... Think tank members, uh, journalists, and, and staffers. And I said that, you know, here in America, the, the transparency of Bitcoin is important. The censorship resistant, that's more applied to maybe, you know, global, uh, more globally, um, members who are living under authoritarian regime, oppressive uh, regimes where their governments, you know, 
can cut off their bank accounts directly just because they say something that's uh, critical to the, the authority figure. We're not, as I said in the thing, we're not there yet, you know, and hopefully we, we maintain our democratic principles to sort of preserve the, our property rights, our freedom of speech and, and democratic principles. But here, what we're facing is a transparency issue where if I'm a black homeowner or if I'm a black business owner, if I have the same credentials, same uh, credit score, similar job offering, I still have a higher decline rate in receiving, you know, a loan for a business loan or, or, or a mortgage loan. Why is that? And they, and we look at all the banks, they say, oh, it's because um, considered a higher risk. What about me makes it a higher risk? And is there any transparency? How are you calculating this proprietary system of who's a higher risk and who's not a higher risk? But it just seems to be when everything else is, is equal, we're still having either higher interest rates or higher decline rates for the two assets that is, is most likely to, to build generational wealth, which is home ownership and an owning business. Hmm. You know, but there's some uh, it's of opaqueness behind those closed doors of how these calculations are being made. So Bitcoin removes that opaqueness and it's, and it's true transparency of how the protocol works and everybody is audible. Everyone um, could, you know, can, can see how the, the mechanism works. And that is a, a leap, you know, forward uh, for us here in, in America. Uh, and how it's an improvement upon traditional banking systems. So with that all taken, I know that you asked about how does that help towards, you know, wealth inequality and then closing the wealth gap. I think just the transparency alone gives us a, a step forward, right? Because uh, there's no longer an instance, maybe it doesn't, you know, extend up, but at least it it, it doesn't hold back. <laughs> and that that's the first step, not not being held back uh, by the subjective decision making of some, you know, authority figure or this other individual. Right. Um, I think that'll be a big step in, you know, taking forward towards, you know, closing the wealth gap. It starts with transparency, it starts with transparency and the fair protocol. For people of color, people coming from disenfranchised communities, I think, you know, the wealth gap is something that's super complex, like I said before, but this is the first time in history with Bitcoin where you have programmable money, where you can hold this digital asset, this programmable money, and it can't be infringed upon, it can't be taken from you. Granted, you have the right security protocols and the education to know what you're doing. And I agree with everything you're saying, Ian, about, um, you know, having that transparency, having that education and having that understanding of what you're actually dealing with. And I think that um, people coming from our community are having a difficult time kind of learning the proper education because there's so much of an influx of all these other different type of cryptocurrencies. And I think that once they realize Bitcoin is kind of the de facto coin out there, coin out they'll, have there they'll have a big understanding of like why this stuff is super important right absolutely um, and that's why 
at BPI, we focus on Bitcoin, right? And because once you get into the other coins, um, it's, it's a lot of distractions. Um, it's a, a lot of vulnerabilities, right? From security level, uh, from protocol level. Okay, how does proof of stake actually work? So it's basically, you know, the, the more stake that you have into protocol, the, the higher chance that you receive a reward, <laughs> which also increases the chance that you make that reward. And so it's a self-fulfilling uh, protocol um, that those who have the most wealth that stake in the protocol will have the most amount of decision-making power, right? Um, is, is that a system um, that we want to sort of advocate for, that we want to push, that we want to expand, you know? Um, I, I think there's a utility for, for all these different uh, protocols, and how you use it. But once again, when it comes to education, we're at the education phase of, you know, this, this stage, right? When it comes to decentralized networks, really like just getting with staffers, getting what, uh, lawmakers, they just need to understand the protocol. So that's when we say, okay, the difference between proof of work and the difference between proof of stake. Um, and the, the importance is to make sure that citizens uh, do not walk into a casino thinking it's a chase bank, right? That's the only thing. I have no problems with casinos. Go ahead, blow $10,000 in a day. I don't care. You're a free American. <laughs> Blow your money. But I will, it will kill me to think that a person walks into a casino, think that they're depositing their money into a savings account. That's, that's where I have the issue. That's where the problem is. So as long as the citizens know that a casino is a casino, the digital version of a casino, hey, try your luck. If you lose it, hey, you already knew, you know, what was the, the, the protocol. But, um, those who want to sort of put their money into a, a system that is fair and open, permissionless, and that preserves your wealth over time, that's completely different, right? And to be able to distinguish between the two is, is critical at, at this point in time when we're in the information education phase. Couldn't have said it better. And, you know, Ian, I really want to know, you know, this is my last question to you. You know, I know you're doing big things on Capitol Hill and you're kind of really um, entrenched in the policy making in that area. And I really want to know, like, what the future holds for you. So, you know, what do you plan to achieve in the policy realm for Bitcoin in the future? Um, to, to make it short, because I know I've been long winded with my uh, responses and answers. But um, first and foremost is if we can remove and fully debunk the environmental FUD of mining and energy on here. It's, it's still pervasive. That's one of the questions that I, I still get the most. Um, and it's actually kind of easy to debunk because we have, you know, Troy Cross and Margo and I send them the papers that they've uh, written and interviews and, and just uh, so much content. Um, the shows how actually mining is uh, Bitcoin mining in particular uh, provides an economic incentive 
um, to use renewable energies, right? And to decarbonize the, the, the environment and the atmosphere. And there's so many use cases of how, uh, you know, companies are doing waste cleanup with, uh, you know, stranded flared energy using hydropower, like we see in Niagara Falls and uh, thermal energy, right? All these renewable uh, sources, but still there is that, lingering narrative that it uses too much energy and it's harmful to the environment. So once we sort of fully and completely make, you know, show and improve that Bitcoin mining is actually good for the environment um, and, and will actually advance our efforts towards uh, environmental sustainability, um, then we can take steps forward of, okay, what are the other possibilities and, and you know capabilities of this network and how to be used. So really, uh, next step on Capitol Hill, all the conversations that I have, we can get consensus <laughs> and, uh, over mining and energy and just get that FUD out the way. It's just it's almost like uh, when you're talking to and I don't want to be pejorative, but it's like when a kid is lying to you, like, oh, did you have that candy? And they have the lollipop in the mouth and the faces all ran and stuff like that. <laughs> it's like, no, I did it. It's like, it's just, that's how, <laughs> like, that's how apparent uh, these lies and, uh, are. Um, and a lot of times it's just misinformation. I don't want to say lies. Um, it's just misinformation, only receiving your information from a, a filtered source. Um, that, that that's bias and then um, the the beauty is when you have statistics uh, and these use cases uh, on your side and the research that's on your side and it makes it very easy um, to, to sort of to shift the narrative uh, by, by having the research and the truth and sort of the data um, backing you up so that, that's the next stage just combating the flood. 100% man that was such a great answer to you know that question and Ian you know I'm going to kind of wrap this up now so can you give people your social media handles and any future projects or endeavors that you might be partaking in that you want the audience to know about Yeah well Dado you know me you know I I linger in the shadows you know I'm just the dude <laughs> I'm not really on social media like that I try to you know uh not get emotionally caught up into that but uh you can Check me out at Nature of G, uh, at Nature of G on Twitter. I might pop up with some like fresh quote that that you're going to think is tight. And you're like, damn, that's fire. <laughs> I, that's dope. I mess with them. Uh, so you might catch me there. Um, and for just the the future, yeah. If you, anybody's interested in sort of Bitcoin advocacy and just decentralized networks and just blockchain in, in general. Uh, if you're in DC area or you're interested in getting into policy and what does that look like, um, yeah, feel free to hit me up, DM me. I'm happy to have that conversation because we need more of us here in DC doing this type of work. Most definitely. Once again, Ian, thank you for taking time to be on the Bitcoin source. Have a good one. My man, Don Pleasure.